Today, my guest on Mind, Body, and Beyond is Hugh Newman, a world explorer, a prolific author, and a straight-up celebrity who's appeared on Ancient Aliens and Search for the Lost Giants on the History Channel. As the founder of Megalithomania, he leads tours to places like Egypt, Greece, Peru, Bolivia, Easter Island, Turkey, and throughout the UK. Hugh has just released two books, Geomancy, Earth Grids, Ley Lines, Feng Shui, Divination, Dowsing, and Dragons, and The Giants of Stonehenge and Ancient Britain, which takes an in-depth look at the theories claiming that giants were involved in the construction of some of the world's megalithic sites, earthworks, and other ancient monuments. Hugh Newman, your books are fascinating, and you have two new books coming out right now. Both books touch on the concept of earth energies, and I wonder if you can Clarify for me, what's the difference between ley lines and earth energies? There's um, quite a bit of difference. I mean, a lot of people kind of get them mixed up. Um, uh, They think they're the same thing, but technically a ley line or a ley is just an alignment of sites over a kind of uh, any distance, really. It could be a short distance, a very long distance. And this was the term devised by... um, Alfred Watkins in the early 1920s, because a lot of he found a lot of these sites had lay at the end of them and things like that. And also, um, they can be any sites like stone circles, megaliths, churches, you know, so all different eras, but they can still be on the same alignment. Whereas earth energies are kind of uh, naturally forming uh, from the telluric currents that manifest in the earth from the magnetic field. They travel around in the earth. This has all been noted by science that they definitely exist and things like this. There's these other big, more yang chi kind of earth energy, which are much bigger. And these are more kind of a bit more esoteric, a bit more difficult to ascertain, but Dow's is find them and you can pick them up with certain types of technological equipment and these weave around the landscape like serpents you know like dragons that's where these terms probably come from can these lines and can these energies be used for healing yeah they have been actually yeah there's one of the traditions is that they're kind of uh, where they congregate is often at one site like you know stonehenge is an example but they and they meet their several lines can cross especially energy lines and uh with telluric currents also with underground water forms into spirals and all these can have different magnetic and electrical and or electromagnetic effects um and even stonehenge traditionally was you know the blue stones were bought from stone uh, from wales because it said they had healing properties and they were being charged up there and when water poured over them would have a healing effect when drank or rubbed on a wound and things like this. So there's all these associations with these ley lines, earth energies, and healing properties. That's so fascinating. I know place certain places I've been on the earth that I know were power spots, like Haleakala in Maui, for example. You stand there and you feel 20 years younger and you feel this energy. It's undeniable. And I wonder if you can also share some experiences you've had what it feels like to you to stand in a powerful spot yeah i've, I've heard of quite a few actually yeah there's been a few experiences one of them was uh, on st michael's mount down in cornwall mm. um and that's a very beautiful interesting place uh, features a lot in our book on giants actually there's a whole giant mythos associated with that place as well and but i went into the crypt this was years ago before i was even aware of all this kind of stuff went into the crypt there and had this 
straight really strange experience like i was just turning into light or something it felt really high it was pretty amazing also had a similar thing in that so it seems to be when you go deep in the earth kind of the good stuff happens um and it starts deeper you know within st michael's mount also when i went in the great pyramid once i was really sick I horrendous food poisoning it's actually weirdly it was on december the 21st 2012 was the date i went in there oh wow but I, but I had to go in there and i went down to the subterranean chamber and while i was in there i was perfectly healed i felt really healthy vibrant i was like what the is going on here this wow. is i came back out and i got to the surface outside the pyramid and i was sick again and it stayed with me for weeks and so i was like hang on a sec so some kind of neutralizing healing energy just within this, you know, the, the, the pyramid was kind of penetrating into the subterranean chamber. So, yeah, and I've, I've got a lot of accounts. I mean, we feature some in the Geomancy book, actually, mm. um, where we kind of, you know, people have had these amazing experiences, you know, profound healing experiences. And many of the, uh, you know, many of the sites like Men and Toll in Cornwall, for instance, as well, are supposed to have healing properties if you pass through the, the whole stone there and things like that. This is one of thousands of examples. Why do you think some people feel something at a spot and other people don't? That's that's a that's a good point actually. That I that, that I don't really know. <laughs> I can't be honest with you. And I think some people. I mean, because you know, I'm sure hundreds, thousands of people have gone inside the subterranean chamber and not had that experience, but I had it somehow. And likewise on St Michael's Mount. So it, it, it's kind of subjective, but I think it's all about timing, because all these energies are influenced by outer influences like the movement of the planets the sun the moon things like this you know where you are where you're at at that time but yeah i mean there's so many stories that we've come across it's um it's pretty remarkable have you ever stood in a place that had bad negative energy oh god yeah 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 several times what's that <laughs> I'll like give, I'll, give, I'll give you a story this is a this is a good one this uh we went to my, my partner and i jj we went to italy in 2018 and we were exploring all the megalithic sites there and we came across a site called Saturnia and that had these burial chambers in this graveyard, this megalithic graveyard near the town. I've been there before actually and had a kind of experience, but we turned up there and I felt something about half a mile before we even got there. And I thought, this is my solar plexus went, oh, okay, there's something going on here. And uh, we need to be a bit careful. We need to kind of ask permission from the spirit guardians and all this kind of stuff which i, I recommend for most sites for people um and we, t- we turned up there we, we, we got out of the car um it was just across the street just opened the boot uh, the trunk to get our cameras out and we looked over and this huge tree cracked in half and smashed down on the dolmen and we were like whoa that really really shocked us then we went in there and i just felt this is just something wrong you know we saw we were seeing shapes in the trees we had this really horrendous kind of pressure on us both of you yeah and uh and you know JJ was so terrified she sprinted out of there and demanded I run out because she was seeing things sort of congregate around me. So yeah, so weird, dark stuff can happen as well, but we got out alive. That's the main thing. Wow. (laughs) Now you travel all over the world and you just got back from Crete recently. And I wonder, are there, and I, you lead these tours to every exotic destination, but I wonder, is there a, a place, a power spot that hasn't yet really been explored? 
Oh, there's so many. Mm. I mean, the, I mean, the way we travel, we don't we don't always go to the the major sites. We kind of like focus on you know sites no one's heard of stuff. We just we hear just a snippet about you know somewhere that someone's been there before. But yeah, there's a lot of sites out there like that that we kind of have that you know. There's uh, one of the one of the there's like three main palaces or palace temple sites of the Minoans that date back to around 1900-1700 BC. Obviously, you've got Knossos, you've got Malia. There's one called Phaistos down in down south, which is we we had a sort of synchronistic experience where we, we found all these trinkets a couple of years ago when we were in Athens. It was a weird kind of story, and so we had to go to Phaistos. We've been waiting ages to go there, and um, that place is. Um, pretty spectacular but there's all these sites around there that no one knows about these burial chambers that are really beautifully placed and they've got this amazing energy we found this giant megalithic throne on the west coast called poseidon's throne just on this farm and these olive trees and we're like what and uh, we were like what's going on so there's an endless amount you know you can you can find if you kind of go you know just don't go just to the main sites you kind of check out all the unknown ones as well Oh, that's so exciting. And of all, all the places that you have been, do you have one that's particularly close to your heart, a favorite? Um, I think they all are, actually. Because mm. <laughs> you're honest. different. Every time you go, also, the the timing is different, the weather, everything's different, and you're different. Yeah, that's it's, yeah, same kind of thing. I mean, I, I, I used to kind of, you know, love going to certain places. There's a place called Wandleberry near where I used to live in near Cambridge. There's... Places like Avebury and Stonehenge obviously really get me. Um, and but having you know been traveling so intensely for so long, you kind of appreciate every single place in you know in the in the present moment. And like it's like, oh, this is you know, so I, I can't I can't say I've got a favorite. I have to be honest with you, it's really hard to kind of say I've probably got a favorite in each country. Yeah. The <laughs> next like that. Yeah, right. Or the next place I go, that might be my favorite. Now um we hear about using technology like LIDAR to help discover some places too. Have you worked with that at all? Um not particularly, no, but I I am aware of it. I know people who have access to mapping of certain places i mean my friend jeffrey wilson in ohio america so he he um he, he got all the lidar data and put it into these amazing maps and discovered tons of stuff just himself because they were scanning the area for farming purposes i think but he kind of took it and like um discovered tons of stuff but now you can get a lidar app on smartphones uh which i'm going to get and like so you can actually lidar really in detail certain sites you know smaller parts of sites but you can get stuff on drones as well which um mm. yeah but there's i mean the whole stonehenge landscape where i live there's a whole ton of stuff has been found here many more sites that they never knew existed earthworks other hinges um underground areas like the so-called durrington shafts that were found using this kind of technique so there's an endless amount and obviously the jungles of guatemala and mexico that's yeah. where they're finding a rich amount of new sites Modern technology also could possibly have a negative influence. Do you think that cell phone towers and other, you know, electromagnetic things we're adding can damage or affect these? Yeah, I do. Yeah, for sure. No, absolutely. Yeah, there's. it's not just those. I mean, yeah, obviously they're pretty bad and that they mess up the kind of natural telluric currents and earth energy currents and energies and stuff like that. And they have a obviously negative impact on us, but we we want them because we use all the technology. So we're not they're not going to go away anytime soon. But also the, the way we 
society builds towns and cities isn't using the geomantic principles like the geomancy it doesn't use the feng shui mm -hmm. which is used still using the far east actually in some you know obscure european places but if you you know you build everything in ancient times in britain as well according to these geomantic principles where your 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 prime directive is fertilizing the landscape and everything within it and an enchantment of the landscape to keep the raised level of consciousness complete and, and constant and these sites would attract and manipulate and ex expand the energies and like create this field across entire countries uh, which john michelle who's my mentor is a brilliant author he died a few years ago called the enchantment of the landscape and this is what this geomancy kind of idea is really about but it's also what the giants were doing as well and that's that's mm -hmm. the theme that we have a very strong geomantic theme found in all the myths and legends of the giants and the creation stories of ancient britain as though they were masters of this technique and they were the builders of the sites they reshaped the landscape redirected streams and rivers created earthworks would use magic and sorcery to like manifest um these different energies and keep them flowing and like and, and that's why many of these sites are built in stone because they're generators and they last for multiple generations but the giants i believe you've said in another of your books you know people ask where are the bones where's the evidence what can you tell us about that yeah well when you come to the giant I mean, in, in north america our previous book giants on record that came out a few years ago that um i should mention my co-author jim vieira here as well because he's the, the giant books I write with him and we have hundreds thousands actually we have probably 2000 accounts of giant skeletons being unearthed we have m hundreds of photographs of them being on display um uh, skeletons skulls measurements with taken by professors and scientists and everything else uh but the smithsonian disappeared then we have a whole chapter about that in our previous book because it didn't fit with their agendas at the time and also NAGPRA came in in 1990, the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, which Native Americans wanted all their burials back and to re, you know, reinter them. So everything disappeared in 1990, basically. The same, same thing in Britain. It doesn't fit with the narrative of religion, science, um, schooling and stuff like this. You know, it was only 100 years ago that the giant stories were in the school curriculum. You know, they were there. They were being talked about and taught as, as a reality. You know, when you go back to the founding of Britain by Brutus the Trojan, uh, who battled with giants when he arrived on the coast and actually placed one in London called Gog Magog, whose effigy is still there in the Guildhall and still paraded around the country every November. So, you know, you have, and we there are a few skeletons here and there in Britain. We do have access to one up in Yorkshire. There's a seven over seven foot skeleton. There's a, there was another one on display in London. We have photographs. We have this, that, and the other. So it's certainly a reality, but we we uh, we focus on creating a comprehensive survey uh, of what has been reported, um, and we can't get the bones for every single one. Yeah, are are they Homo sapiens? Yeah, they're humans, but I mean, they're just ridiculously tall, you know, and uh, it gets crazy. I mean, we've got 14 foot ones being discovered near Stonehenge and reported on by um, academics such as um, 
Thomas Elliot, Sir Thomas Elliot, who was a created the dictionary. He was a you know a member of Parliament for Cambridge and stuff like that. And he's reporting and, and measuring them and writing them in his books. He can't really deny it happened because he, he's not going to make stuff up. Do you think uh, earlier, just a moment ago, you sort of suggested that giants were some somehow spiritually evolved? I mean, is that necessarily so? I mean, maybe they're just you know larger people who were used for their brute strength. There could be that. That's, that's one angle on it. Yeah, that's one of the angles we go into in the book, and that you know, so we think they were like employed to be the megalith builders. Yeah, you know, that's the traditions you have in, in Greece with the Cyclops and the Nephilim, for instance, the Bible lands. They were thought to be the builders. They weren't necessarily the designers, but they were brought in to do the hard labor and the stoneworking techniques, which they kept secret between themselves. And the same principles probably apply here. If you look at all this, this, the folklore and the legends, all, all support that. And we believe a lot in folklore and legend and myth as like having elements of reality to them. Yeah. But all, all much of this folklore talks about this geomantic principle, which is you know, has this spiritual connotation because they're trying to create something more and that and enhance and stimulate the kind of energies in the land for a higher purpose. Now you wouldn't do that if you were just savages, if you were just like, you know, trying to dominate the area. This is something else going on here. Um, and the, you know, the, the the tests that have been carried out in recent times by researchers like Philip Callahan, John Burke and others suggest that this is indeed the case. If you actually place seeds or grains within these sites, like Stonehenge and burial chambers or mounds even, and they get enhanced and charged up by the natural energies which are congregated to this specific spot that are designed within the site to manipulate these energies. And so that isn't something you would uh, you would do just, you know, without knowing a lot about the nature of energy, but also the same energy they're talking about stimulates consciousness and higher states of awareness this has been proven scientifically and so we know that there's a lot more to these giants but also the megalith builders and these creators of these sites than the meets the eye well what about crop circles then in that case is there a connection interestingly yeah because john burke who i mentioned he found everything out about um, and developed his research to test energies at sacred sites through crop circles. He actually like found that many of the crops where genuine circles has been created going back, this is going back like 20 years, um, actually had changed their kind of uh, gen genetics, you know, something had changed within the, the crop and stems and everything. And yeah. Gross yeah. and better. And so he would like then test them and go, well, actually this has been affected by some kind of electromagnetic energy. Then he found that, you know, that potentially these balls of light people see around crop circles. And then he tested that and found that it's the same energy is being created within ancient sites. And so he did test with seeds and grains there and got these results where if you place the seeds and grains in the site, some, you know, keep, keep samples that haven't been in the site and go and plant them against each other. The ones that have been in the site grow much more abundantly, stronger, taller, frost resistant and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so he learned um, a lot from the crop circles. All the sites that you've been exploring, can you tell me how they're connected i mean i know one of your books 
that I read has this incredible a mesh a grid over the earth. Tell me more about the connection between these special sites. Yeah, that's that's the Earth Grid yeah. thesis. That's that's the whole that's that feature in the Geomancy book actually. The an updated version of Earth Grid is, is part of the Geomancy book, and that's this whole idea that the Earth is a kind of um, you know sphere more or less, and um, bulging at the, the you know the the equator and so forth, but fundamentally it's a sphere and it was it was recognized as potentially a dodecahedron even by plato and uh, and other ancient philosophers where they realized there's something so these principles of sacred geometry and spherical geometry apply to the earth and then it is later found out that actually if you observe the, the the location of the land masses and the oceans and the way they form, they're almost forming around a combination of an icosahedron and a dodecahedron. A dodecahedron has, um, oh God, I've forgotten all the details now, but the dodecahedron has, um, you know, pentagonal faces, whereas the icosahedron has um, triangular faces and they interconnect and nest with each other. And so you have this kind of very interesting kind of, almost like energy field being formed by that and then you look at the whole principle of cymatics how the way sound and um, vibration affects matter and it's found that the work of Hans Jenny and others that if you vibrate certain frequencies they form into these exact same shapes so it's almost like the harmony of the spheres the the kind of sounds of the cosmos is happening and it's affecting the earth in that way and it's just a case of tapping into that but it's such grand scale it's hard to kind of get your head around it and this is really going on and this is like the fundamentals of what keeps us everything alive and vibrant plus you've got the more localized telluric currents and earth and these we've already mentioned and uh, and also the placement of sites i believe they were kind of done in such a configuration over vast distances is to trap this energy and like even the the, the giant earth kind of sized energy and actually work with that and, and use that for various purposes like we've been discussing yeah well speaking of sound what do you think of that theory that sound was used to lift the heavy stones in some of these places yeah, yeah stone levitation is often uh it's actually been talked about a lot in, in, in myths and legends, actually, that they, they do talk about that. I mean, even Merlin, when he brought the stones from Ireland to England, uh, Salisbury Plain, it said he used very specific, unusual techniques, but somehow he did it all on his own. So he must have been levitating the stones. There's no way he carried them. And, um, and the same thing, you know, we have the kind of the idea of um, horns being blown, uh, in Jericho and it was all in the Bible and everything like this and the walls come tumbling down la di da and so yeah I mean if you look around the world you find much of this in place and I believe that was one of the secret techniques of the giants and that's how they were able to shape soften and um, build the sites because many of these sites have evidence that the stone has been softened it's like scoop marks even at Stonehenge you find that also in Egypt and Peru and so it does seem like they had, they had this technique, possibly using sound, to manipulate the stone. And we know about archaeoacoustics. Mm -hmm. That's been that's been found at sites everywhere. You know, every Newgrange, for example. Yeah, that's right, and Stonehenge and other places. So, so we know they're built with acoustics in mind. So it's highly likely they had a, such a high understanding of that that they were able to manipulate 
the very light force that is called gravity. What's up next for you? More tours, more books? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's, that's about it for, for the rest of my life. Yeah, we've got um, yeah the Geomancy books out. That's been out a little while. Giant's book is literally coming out now, The Giants of Stonehenge in Ancient Britain. Um, I'm going to be working on a book with J.J. Ainsworth about ancient Mexico and the Olmecs and their kind of secrets. And we're going to be, uh, yeah, we're doing tours. We've got, we do a big Egypt tour every November. Wow. Just done a Sardinia tour a few weeks ago. And we've got a lot planned for next year, including, you know, like we're going to be going back to Gebekli Tepe and Karahan Tepe. There's some amazing new discoveries coming out of that part of the world, which have a lot of acoustic kind of properties encoded within these 12,000 year old sites, by the way. In Turkey. And, uh, in Turkey, yeah, Southeast Turkey, yeah. And uh, yeah, so yeah, more books, more traveling, more tours. We've got a big conference. And yeah, we do our big megalithomania event every May as well. And everyone, you know, that's a big get together in the crazy town of Glastonbury. That sounds wonderful. It is such a thrill to talk to you, Hugh. I really appreciate your time. And uh, in the show notes, we'll have links to all of this great stuff. Thanks for joining me on Mind, Body and Beyond. It was fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. Today on Mind, Body and Beyond, I spoke to Hugh Newman about his books, Geomancy, Earth Grids, Ley Lines, Feng Shui, Divination, Dowsing and Dragons, and The Giants of Stonehenge in Ancient Britain. For more info about Hugh, visit megalithomania.co.uk. You can also visit my website, mindbodybeyond.co. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Thanks, and catch you next time.